following presentation of the Jaguars Podcast Network is presented by ViStar Credit Union. Fred Taylor makes people smile. He did when he left heads swiveling, hips turning, and defenders confused, blazing by them on his way to the end zone. He could do things full speed that most players couldn't imagine doing while standing still. Today, Fred simply walks through the door and people want to talk to him to know the man who made them hold their breath every time he touched the ball. This is Perspectives, the story of the Jaguars' first 25 seasons, told by the people who built the franchise from the ground up. This is Fred Taylor. Taylor arrived in Jacksonville a hero in waiting. The six-foot-one, 230-pounder played four seasons in Gainesville. He was built to ball, and he knew it. It was just a matter of time until everyone else did too. There are so many memorable moments. Um, my favorite moment um, in a Jaguars uniform, with, it's, it's simple. My rookie year against Tampa Bay Buccaneers, um, my childhood best friend, guy I played Pop Warner with, we met signing up, registering for the same uh, uh, park. We ended up being uh, – Redell Anthony is who I'm talking about. We ended up being on the same team. Redell was a stud. He was a great player from Pop Warner. And uh, middle school, high school, we ended up going to college, same college, University of Florida. And uh, Redell left as a junior and was drafted first round by Buccaneers. And I ended up uh, getting drafted the following year in 98 uh, here to Jacksonville. And um, our rookie year, I remember hanging out down at Redell's place in Tampa. And the mouth of the South, Mr. Man, Warren Sapp, we were at Sapp's place. Uh, we took his jet skis out. We had three jet skis we took out to Clearwater Beach. And throughout the time, young, stupid, very confident Fred Taylor says to Sapp, um, I'm going to have 100 yards rushing on, on your Buccaneers defense. And I remember Sapp saying, be careful, young man. Don't write a check. Your ass can't cash. <laughs> and uh, I said, all right, we'll see about that. Fast forward to uh, the game. I believe it was a Sunday 4 p.m. kick in November. And um, the very first play of the game was a run play. Three, tackle three-yard loss, and it was Warren Sapp. And he stood over me and said, that effing check is going to bounce today. And I was like, okay, we'll see about that. Very next play, same result. <laughs> As I recall it, it was the same result. It's like, yeah, that check going to bounce today, young man. It's like, all right, it's okay. And in my mind, I'm, t I'm, I'm telling myself, what did you get yourself into? Well, fast forward more throughout the game, Redell would score. You know, he blazed uh, Aaron Beasley for a 70-yard uh, slant route to to the house for a touchdown. Then I would come down and score. Then he would score. Then I would score. Then he would score. And I would score. Fast forward to fourth quarter. Two minutes, few seconds remaining in the fourth quarter. I remember Coach Coughlin saying, we're just going to run this 36-0. Uh, I was running a 36T behind Tony Baselli. And I, um, it was a, just a simple run to the right where Tony was pulling. 
And we're just running that play so we can get in two-minute offense. So we can be able to hurry up and give ourselves an opportunity to get in range, in scoring range. And um, cut behind Tony, cut right, cut left, down the Tampa Bay sideline. Comes Fred, looking up the middle, now cutting back. There he goes. Fred's at the 40. Fred breaks a tackle. He's on the run at the 50. Fred's on the go. He's at the 30. Fred 20. Fred 10. He's into the end zone. Touchdown, Jacksonville. Wow. 70 yards for Fred Taylor, and the Jaguars grab the lead, 29-24. 71 yards later, I find myself doing inappropriate acts to our goalpost at the time. <laughs> Thank God for editing, video editing. But it was uh, that was that was like the best moment in my entire career, simply because of of. Me getting the last laugh against Warren Sapp, one of the greatest defensive tackles they ever played a game. Uh, Derek Brooks was on that team. Uh, Hardy Nickerson was on that team. John Lynch was on that team. Rondé Barber, who's going to be another Hall of Famer, he was on that team. Simeon Rice was on that team. This defense was the best defense in all the football. And, um, you know, my talking crap, not knowing exactly what I was getting into, came to fruition. And my childhood friend, you know, two guys from a small country town, grew up together through high school, uh, college. We had a shootout with each other. He would score, I would score, he would score, I would score. And that was all the scoring for a while throughout that game. So for me, that game stands out the most, uh, the best, most memorable game in Jaguars, uh, in a Jaguars uniform. He made it look easy, but it wasn't always effortless. Taylor initially struggled with the transition to professional football, and it took a moment in week three for things to get rolling. You know, in order to talk about the moment when I took over as the starting running back in Jacksonville, uh, I can't tell you without saying uh, Willie Jackson, who was a receiver here, you know, he allowed me to regain my confidence because in the preseason, it was shot. Coach Coughlin, you know, he was demanding so much of players, whether you're a 10-year vet, rookie, it didn't matter. You know, he wanted you to excel and uh, ascend. He would always say, guys, you have to ascend. You got to go. You got to go. And and he would always, you know, demand the best of you. Well, there was a period for me where um, the media, some of the local media, I'm pretty sure some of the fans, because they tend to – go in the direction of the media uh, most of the time, or a lot of the times, uh, in all fairness to them. Um, and it was, Fred is a bust. Fred, you're a bust. And I heard that stuff. And um, not until I talked to Willie, he goes, hey, that wasn't the reason you were drafted here. This is why you were drafted here. Just go back to the old Fred. And I stopped. I would always listen to Coach Coughlin, but I started to listen to Willie. Like, you know what? That make that makes the most sense. You know, let's try it that way. You know, let's stop beating a, you know our heads against the wall. Let's just go calm yourself down and get back to the basics. So fast forward three games, we're playing the Baltimore Ravens um, in my rookie year, uh, 1998. Um, Stu goes down. I always kept myself prepared and. To give Stu his credit, Stu always made sure I was preparing the right way. And I was thankful to have a veteran guy who was very receptive of taking me under his wings, uh, a guy who's 
threatening his his whole entire livelihood. This is how we feed our families. But, you know, he threw all that out the window, window and just looked at me as a teammate who could help us win. So uh, thankful, I'm thankful for Stu that even though he went down, um, me jogging on the field, I remember being as nervous as could be, but I was ready. And my very first carry was a 39 toss to the left where I was able to cut it back to the right, made the backside uh, linebacker miss. Toss sweep left. There goes Fred Taylor. He's across the 50, coming back, breaking tackles, 45. There goes Taylor, 40. He's free at the 30. He's at the 20. Fred Taylor, 10, 5, touchdown, Jacksonville, 52 yards. And Fred Taylor makes a statement in his first major run. 52 yards later, uh, I'm in the end zone, not having a clue what to do with the ball. And um, I remember, like yesterday, my jersey was as tight as could be. Uh, shout out Drew Hampton, our old equipment guy, who uh, hooked me up with the tight jersey. So nobody was arm tackling me, I can tell you that, how tight that jersey was. But young Fred Taylor in the end zone, I didn't know whether to spike the ball, keep my first touchdown ball. All I remember is growing up as a child, guys would spike it and guys would keep it. And I didn't know what to do at that point. So if you ever see the highlight, uh, it seems as if I have like a, like a, it's stuck with sticky glue because I'm trying to spike it, but it wouldn't release. <laughs> and uh, to me, to this day, it's the, the, the silliest thing I ever done as a pro. More perspectives following this from Vistar Credit Union. At Vistar, we believe in better better convenience so members can bank any way they want whether it's at a branch on a mobile device or at one of more than 20,000 fee-free atms across north america we believe that people have better things to do with their time if you believe that convenience is better join vistar we never forget that it's your money all loans subject to approval insured by ncua Taylor learned early that playing in the NFL was going to take the best he had to offer, game in and game out. Playing for Tom Coughlin challenged him to give his best day in and day out. When I got, uh, when I went to work out, I thought Coach Coughlin was a madman. You know, he goes, son, uh, you're out of shape. Why can't you finish the drill? And, and, and from there, I just had this, I would look at him. And I would go, something's wrong with this guy because I just did a hundred reps and he wants me to do another hundred. But it's for an opportunity to be drafted. You know, I sort of weighed, uh, the different draft positions of the different teams that worked me out. And at that moment, I was projected top three backs. And, uh, I felt that if I can go to Jacksonville, uh, it would be the best, um, place for me to end up in the entire draft so um it, it, it all worked out at the very end of the day uh the difference in coach Spurrier playing for coach Spurrier and playing for coach Coughlin is night and day uh in a sense that coach Spurrier wants to hurry up get done with practice and, and make his four o'clock tea time and be able to play before uh the sunlight is up uh coach Coughlin totally opposite he wants you out there practicing 
until uh, it's dark. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but they were two great men who I grew to to respect over the course of time. And um, uh, uh, they both allowed me an opportunity to find myself as a young man. Uh, I got into some trouble down in, in Gainesville under Coach Spurry. He went to bat for me because he believed, you know, it wasn't in my character. It was just a bonehead, childish mistake. And the same for Coach Coughlin when he was extremely hard on me. Uh, I didn't understand it at first. Why? You know, he it seemed that as if he was picking on me. But after a while, uh, you learn that he just wanted the absolute best for you. He followed that big run against the Ravens with a 77-yard score against the Dolphins on Monday Night Football and a 78-yard touchdown catch in Baltimore and big scores in Cincinnati, Nashville, and Denver, scoring 17 touchdowns as a rookie and narrowly missing out on NFL Rookie of the Year honors to a guy named Randy Moss. In 1999, though, a hamstring injury brought back some old doubts and a new nickname that still bothers him to this day. Though in the end, Fred proved those detractors wrong. Fragile Fred hurt then, and it still hurt now. When I look up Fred Taylor stats to make my comparisons to the best you know, other running backs uh, that have played the game, uh, when I look up uh, top rushers of all time, and it it gives it gives you a link to uh, pro sports reference or something of that nature, and it has all of the players' nicknames, and unfortunately, the fragile Fred tag is it's still there, and I never accepted that as a nickname. It certainly motivated me throughout my career. Uh, I think. You know, I, I always say God does things in the most mysterious of ways. Uh, for example, uh, people talk about the market, the Jacksonville market, or the lack of, and maybe that has something to do with the lack of Pro Bowls and, you know, lack of recognition in terms of being in the same conversation with other running backs around the league. Well, I always go back to God only gives you what you can handle. And for me, a young kid from a small country town in Belgrade to a small college town in Gainesville to a, a look, just a bit larger uh, town in Jacksonville, it was just enough. You know, it was just enough. I can handle Jacksonville. And those 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 injuries in the media, you know, the New York media would have torn me alive had I missed those amount of games in that period. Fragile Fred might be the least of my worries, uh, yet. Here is it is what it is. I was in Jacksonville. That was the name that was associated with me, uh, but it definitely motivated me. Uh, I went through a period where I stopped partying so much. Uh, I stopped uh, doing other things so I could minimize the soft tissue injuries uh, and give myself an opportunity to be on the field and be successful, uh, try and help the team win. Uh, personally, um, there was a stretch, I believe a three-year stretch, where I didn't miss a single game. Uh, but I learned how to be a pro in that period. I learned the, the simple things to take care of your body, uh, to uh, nutrition, different nutrition, different diets, uh, massage. I developed the routine that will help me sustain a 13-year career. And in the back of my mind, I I tend to laugh at you know, whoever started the nickname and whoever would say it, um, 
I, I laugh at those people now because the average lifespan is around three years, three and a half years or so. And um, for me to have played almost four times that average, you know, that's that's just a testimony or testament to um, my dedication. And I, and I have a quick story. We played Philly. We played the Eagles in Philly. And I remember during warm-ups, I would always go out warm-up with my headphones on, try and tune everything out. And I remember being on one end zone in Philly, and the fans were chatting, or they were chanting, Fragile, Freddie. And they would say it uh, throughout the individual warm-ups, throughout the team warm-ups. And I looked up there and said, I'm going to get the last laugh. So throughout the game, an opportunity came where I saw they had a, a cornerback blitz. I knew I was going to cut back into the cornerback blitz. I didn't care what happened, but I was going to cut back, and all I had to do was beat the safety, which was Dawkins at the time. I beat the blitz. I beat Dawkins. I ran everyone. I scored a touchdown in that same end zone, and it was as quiet as could be. For that brief moment, I felt great knowing that I silenced the entire stadium. The laughing didn't last. Neither did the winning. Injuries, including a big one of his own, the salary cap, and losing, all took their swings at the Jaguars. And by 2002, the first era, the Tom Coughlin era, was over. Taylor, clearly the identity of the franchise, was ready for change. For a moment, um, just going back to how tough Coach Coughlin was, for those five years, he was extremely tough. Things weren't going quite the way we wanted them to go as an organization or as a team, as an organization. And for a moment, you know, you tell yourself, okay, the 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 fans are asking for a player-friendly coach. The players aren't playing. They're not winning in the fourth quarter. They're tired. They over-practiced. They practiced too hard. You know, it was grueling. Like those those practices under Coach Coughlin's watch, they were intense. It was two days. It was patched throughout the entire week, even on some Fridays. And the veteran guys started complaining. I, for one, I always just went to work. I never complained about the the the, the padded practice or anything of that nature. Uh, the the one thing that that sort of pushed my relationship was Coach Coughlin's relationship to the side a bit was the groin injury. I tore my groin off the bone, and the media started asking questions. You know, why isn't Taylor here? Where's Fred? And and I remember, you know, I'm not sure if the exact quote, but Coach Coughlin, to a certain extent, responded, I don't know. Maybe he's in the training room. He should have been back a couple weeks ago. Uh, it's only a three-week injury. Well, I tore my entire, I tore my groin, I, I detached it from the bone, which was a, I missed the right amount of time when I missed the entire season. So our relationship started to get a bit gray. And at that particular moment, I didn't really care if they fired Coach Coughlin or not. Uh, I felt that change would have been the best thing at that particular point in time. Uh, insert Jack Del Rio, his first year. You know, we spent maybe as much time at the movie theaters or not practicing as much as maybe any team in the entire NFL. And it felt good. I mean, I still did what I would normally do as a player. Uh, it was that period I started to 
take care of my body and make sure I didn't miss games. So for me, it was things were smooth. The relationship was Jack with Jack was was smooth. He looked at me as a as a leader, a captain, and he respected what I did on the field. Uh, after a few years of the same, you realize it was too many gray areas, and, and I believe Jack's uh, inexperience. As a head coach, his inexperience micromanaging, uh, his his experience as a player, uh, I think that sort of got in the way of our goal here. Uh, he bumped head with a lot of guys, and I I don't necessarily um, I don't hate Jack for it. I actually, I would actually love to have conversations, the same conversations I found myself having with Coach Coughlin uh, when I. Uh, met him in the preseason games. I will have those same conversations with Coach Del Rio. But those coaches were night and day. Coach Coughlin was black and white. If you entered that middle area, those that's the consequence line. You know what you were going to get yourself into. Jack was, after a moment, it was more gray, and the inconsistency showed, and uh, he lost a lot of the guys. Um, but both coaches, at the very end of the day, you know, you learn from them. You, you learn, you know, from every uh, um, experience in life. You have to take those and, and, and develop so you can um, help your person. More perspectives following this from ViStar Credit Union. At ViStar, we believe in better, especially in helping build a better financial future for our members. So we've reviewed our offerings from the ground up. We've lowered or eliminated over half our fees and enhanced our already competitive rates, saving members more than a million dollars this year, in addition to the millions we save them every year. If you believe that saving money is better, join ViStar. We never forget that it's your money. All loans subject to approval, insured by NCUA. A few years into the Jack Del Rio era, the Jaguars decided to start planning for life after Fred. A 1,500-yard season in 2003 and 2,000 more rushing yards between 2004 and 2005 didn't stop the Jaguars from drafting Maurice Jones-Drew. Maurice wondered how Taylor would react, but he needn't worry. By 2006, Taylor was not only entirely self-confident, he was completely self-aware. MJD, my guy. I love Mojo. We have a great relationship now. Uh, I constantly check on his family. I constantly uh, root for Maurice. Uh, I think he's doing a wonderful job at the network. Um, not to say I, I, I wouldn't have thought he would have because he could talk. He, he was always a talker, especially his rookie year. I think the one thing that stands out most about Maurice is how he absorbed everything that I shared with him. I wanted to make sure that he was successful. I, you know, I try to be pretty level-headed in a sense that I knew I was older. You know, I knew that um, I wasn't going to play every snap. I knew that um, the way the NFL works, uh, prior to Maurice, I believe we drafted a running back every single year for my entire career. But neither was as special as Maurice. They were good. But Maurice was just a different talent. He can return the ball, kickoff return, punt return. Um, he can receive the ball out of the backfield, short game, intermediate. He can get down the field on wheel routes. Um, he could run the ball. His vision was amazing. His, 
He wasn't a big guy in stature, but he was powerful. His lower body was as strong as it could be, and he broke a ton of tackles. Um, I think Maurice, he accepted his role. You know, he didn't ask to, to be anything more than he uh, was very patient. He knew that I still had a lot left in my tank, and we had great chemistry. There were opportunities where he would say, no, 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 you go in. And I would say, no, you go in. We <laughs> almost came to a point where neither one of us was in, and then someone would have to run on the field. But um, those were those were great times. I, I mean, I cherish those moments. Uh, I think the only inconsistency with Maurice, though, is his select amnesia when it comes to who was the best Madden football player. Because for some reason, he don't remember the amount of times that I beat him. But that's okay. You know, I uh, I tend to just smirk and laugh at those moments. And I tease him to this day about it. But we have a great relationship. I just spent some time with him out there at the NFL Network uh, a couple weeks ago. You know, uh, he's rooting for me uh, in my Hall of Fame push. I'm certainly rooting for him. I, I certainly believe he's uh, uh, capable of being enshrined someday. It would be amazing to have both of us in there, two guys that shared the backfield for the same team, uh, same organization. I think that would be, she's for me, probably the most amazing thing that I've seen in my life. The two men ran roughshod over the rest of the league, and together they helped power the NFL's best rushing attack in a playoff season in 2007. Fred exited stage left after 2008 and spent a few seasons in New England before hanging it up. He finished with 11,695 yards and 74 touchdowns. But he was rarely mentioned among the very best of the best, the Hall of Fame caliber players. Maybe it was because he played in Jacksonville, the NFL's smallest market. Or maybe it's because he didn't play in a Super Bowl. One guy, though, one very special guy, knew where Taylor belonged in the conversation. I I think... um... The Jim Brown quote, you know, during my playing career, for a while I didn't see it. I didn't uh, hear it anywhere. Someone had to tell me, and I certainly went and looked it up soon after I heard about it. Uh, Just a kid who watched uh, Jim Brown highlights, man, he's the GOAT. Like, people misuse the term GOAT. You know, you have uh, kids nowadays, they just, everything is goat. He's goaded. He's goat here, goat. They don't understand the real meaning of goat. Jim Brown is the real goat at the position of running back, in my opinion. Uh, so when I heard it, I was like, wow, that, wow, this is, that's all that really matters. You know, the lack of Pro Bowls, the lack of Pro Bowl recognition, um, it doesn't matter. For me, the only thing that matters is, when I hear my idols, you know, mention, you know, I'm the best running back that he sees out there in the NFL. Uh, when the guys I compete against, you know, the Ray Lewis's of the world, uh, um, the Ed Reeds of the world, uh, Derek Brooks, Warren Sapp, Detroit Malus, when those guys say he's the best running back uh, that I've ever faced, that's what really matters. And I think uh, if I had thought more about the Hall of Fame, when I came into the NFL uh, or even throughout my playing career, I think I would have placed it here as a goal to attain. And my career would probably have gone a little different in terms of um, how I would have rested, how I would have treated my body, 
uh, maybe even a team success. But when I came in the NFL, it was Hall of Fame was never a thought. You know, not until I achieved the 10,000 yard mark, I became the 21st running back in NFL history to uh, attain that that goal. And not until at that point in time, I started to think maybe, just maybe, um, I can make the Hall of Fame someday. You know, maybe I could um, outrush my idol in Jim Brown, uh, which is just though he was number nine uh, on the list during, uh, before I retired. And uh, it was just 12,214 yards, I believe. I have to look that up again, but I believe those are the numbers, or I'm extremely close. And uh, my last couple years, that's all I wanted to do was just outrush my my idol, and that was my goal. I came short. I finished with eleven six ninety five. I I'm, I was just a couple hundred yards short uh, due to some injuries um, up in New England, but just to ride, just to still be able to um, just hear. That interview of him saying, you know, Fred Taylor, he got some juice. He's the best running back that I see out there um, that I've seen with my eyes. Like that, I'll never forget that, uh, no matter what happens. Um, the Hall of Fame, I'm very appreciative and humbled to be in the semifinalist uh, conversation. And for the life of me, that's the only thing I was fighting for for an opportunity to be in the conversation, an opportunity to get in the room. And that's when the the deep, deep digging starts and the real conversation begins when you uh, are in that room of the, with the 15 finalists. Uh, and we'll keep, continue to fight for that. You know, it's out of my hands, but we will in some shape, form, capacity, uh, try and continue to push things out there that hopefully will allow uh, me to get into that room someday where they could, uh, the voters, the selectors, they could, uh, you know, determine if I should be there or not. And at the very end of the day, they, ha- they have a hard job. Uh, so many great players, uh, great moments. Uh, at the very end of the day, in my heart, I'm going to always feel that um, I was a Hall of Fame talent, you know, especially knowing the guys that I played against, the guys I competed against that are selected Hall of Famers. Now, I'll forever, you know, weigh myself against those guys and their abilities, um, as well as um, knowing of the 100-year history of the NFL, the amount of backs that came through the NFL, you know, to retire 15th all-time, all caps all-time. I mean, that's nothing I ever set my my mind to. Uh, in the the injuries that I endured, the way I was able to fight through those, and still be able to uh, grind out a 13 year career, retire 15th all time on the all rushing list of the 32 modern era backs. I am, you know, I'm. My numbers are better than 16 of those guys that are 17 of those guys that are already in the Hall of Fame. You know, little moments, little things like that, those little nuggets, they make me smile and make it say it's all worth it. And I would do it again in a heartbeat if I could. Today, Taylor commutes between his home in South Florida and Jacksonville, where he's part of the Jaguars game day broadcast. His name is already on the wall, and perhaps in the very near future, he'll wear the gold jacket as one of the best to ever play the game. 
The people in Jacksonville already know he is, and he knows the people in Jacksonville are the gold he already has. After all, in the words of longtime Jaguars.com senior editor Vic Ketchman, it's the memories that make us rich. You know, I, I never understood Vic when he said that. And he said that a long time ago, way before I retired, uh, way before I actually understood what he was trying to say. And, um, you know, I, I learned that towards the end of my career. You know, there were opportunities where uh, I had autograph signings and appearances and all this different stuff, and I turned it down. I mean, not only I was turning down a, a large sum of money just to, you know, show up, but I figured at the very end of the day, that's what it was all about, showing up, being accountable, being reliable, you know, ex- having those relationships where people believe about, believe in you. So that taught me a lot, you know. And, 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 again, it wasn't about the money at the very end of the day. It was about the relationships that were being affected. So at some point throughout my career, I started to understand the value in relationships. It's always been easy for me to just be real, be myself, treat people the way I've always wanted to be treated. Uh, I thank my grandmother for that. She did a great job of of raising myself, my sisters and brothers, um, and teaching us what humility is. I mean, I, I don't come from a lot. I come from a lot of her hard work. I'm a product of that. I've seen her, you know, Going out to the sugar mill, uh, going out to the uh, 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 the packing house where she would pack different vegetables and pick vegetables and pack vegetables, and she would have a you know sixteen hour work day. So that hard work taught me a lot when I was young, and uh, and I think just everything she taught me carried over to how to treat people. You know, I firmly believe that I was just blessed with. God-given ability to play a game, a game. It's nothing more than that. It's just a game. And it doesn't mean you treat people differently. It only means that you are blessed to play a game and being able to entertain, you know, and you want to share those blessings with everybody. I share them with my family. I share them with the fans. You know, to see a, a young kid's face light up or even an adult, fan for that matter, to see their faces light up. You know, you're giving back. Those those people I always believed, and I said it many times as a player, you know, if we're losing, that stunk for me because you have people out there busting their butts, making a living, and they come, they you know, they try and find a way to budget in these game tickets, and they want to come and be entertained and and, and be able to go home happy uh, seeing their team win. And it upset me a lot that we didn't always do that. And these people are really out there grinding. It reminded me of my grandmother, you know, how she grinded to make a couple dollars. Um, so, yeah, I coming in the building, uh, being able to, when I walk outside, see my name on the wall, um, it's still all surreal. It's, wow, every time I look up there, when I look up there, uh, and I don't make it a habit to look up there, but when I look up there, I go, wow, that's going to be there forever. Forever is a long time.